Hey, we're in, we're in week three of this series, this collection that we've been doing called This is God's Year to Act. And we've been subtitling this, this entire series, uh, Positioning Ourselves to Know God. And I want to I begin this morning by reading from Genesis chapter 15. There's just one verse in Genesis 15 that I, uh, I kind of want to use as the, uh, the baseline for where we're going this, this morning. And if you grew up in church, you're, you're kind of familiar with this story. And if you didn't grow up in church, I'm going to give you just a little bit of context. There's, there's a man by the name of Abraham here in Genesis 15. Abraham is a patriarch of the Christian faith. He is uh, oftentimes referred to as Father Abraham. He had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. I'm looking at you. I'm trying to help, help me out. I forget how they go. Right arm, left arm. I'm not sure why I just did my foot too, but it could I, it's just muscle memory, I guess. But, but if you have no idea what that was all about, you're better off because of it. We learned some not so good songs growing up. I guess they were good songs, just not very creative. But, um, but, but Abraham was promised, he was promised a son by God through his wife, Sarah, but they were unable to conceive in fact, it was 25 years, 25 years had gone by since God had first promised Abraham this son. And, and, and this son was going to be a pretty important son because, see, Jesus actually comes from the lineage in the line of Abraham. And so there's some, there's some, some, some serious uh, 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 gusto behind what God is doing here through Abraham. And yet Abraham's beginning to doubt, beginning to wonder if this promise is ever going to come to pass. Not, not to mention they've never had a son, but, but now they're 25 years older. And if they could have ever conceived, certainly now wouldn't be the time. And we're going to read one verse here in Genesis 15, verse 5. And it says that God then took Abraham outside and he said to him, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're even able to count them. And so shall your descendants be. And he took him outside, meaning God took Abraham outside. And he said, now look to the heavens and count the stars. If you're even able to count them, so shall your descendants be. I want to I talk this morning from a, from a message entitled, It's Time to Go Outside Again. For some of us, it's just time to go outside. Maybe not today. This is metaphorically speaking. It's time to stay inside today. But, but it's time to go outside. And for a lot of us, as we'll, we'll discover here in a moment, it's time to go outside Again, and, and I don't want to overstate this. I don't want to overstate And I hesitated to even share this before we kind of kick this thing off. But, but this particular message um, is one that I believe, if I could say it like this, just if you're newer to this context of church, don't let this freak you out. But, but this is one that I believe that, that, that God is really calling us as a community to lean into. That this is one that I feel like he's impressing really strong, strong upon us to, to lean into. And we're going to discover more about what I mean in a moment. But furthermore, I think what I'm trying to get at is I believe there's something that God wants to do. In, in one sense, he wants to expand uh, the way in which we think about him. And I believe he's going to even do it this morning. So let's, let's pray and, and trust that God does something great in our hearts 
today. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the few moments that we have to gather together. And we ask individually right now, we take responsibility for our own lives and ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would enlarge our understanding of you, that you would help us to grow in our knowledge of you. But furthermore, that we would put to practice that which it is that we're learning this morning. That's what, that which it is that you're teaching us this morning. And make up the distance between what you have prepared to speak this morning and what you want to personally say to the hearts and the minds of every single individual, both in here and in our kids' classrooms, as well as all those who will listen at a later date. In Jesus' name, bring every single five-star recruit to your Ohio State Buckeyes. And everybody who agreed said, amen, amen. amen. We believe it. Next year's our year to finally beat the Clemson Tigers. We have one person of faith in the room. Um, just, just after I graduated from, from Bible college, I had, I had, uh, I had gone off to, to India to spend about 13 weeks over, over on the southern tip of India in a small little village called Rayakutta, and I wanted to just volunteer for a ministry over there, and it was a fantastic kind of Bible school ministry that, that helped equip uh, future church leaders who were going to plant churches all across uh, the country of India. And so, and so, so, so if you've ever traveled uh, to different continents before, you know that it can be pretty exhausting. And especially if you're going to the other side of the other side of the world. And so I, I flew into Germany. I was by myself. And then I, I had about a six hour layover there. And then I flew south to a city called Bangalore in the southern tip of India. And then I had a two hour car ride to this small little, little village called Rayakutta. By the time I get to, by the time I get to the, the ministry's base, I was exhausted. And there was only one other American on the base, about 400, 400 kind of native Indians there. And, and my interpreter begins to give me some, some instruction on what to expect. And, and you can tell that I'm pretty exhausted at this point. And, and he says, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you go to sleep. But I, but I want to warn you that the clay tiles on your roof here, they leak. So keep your suitcase closed at night in case it rains so that your luggage doesn't, you know, become soiled. And, okay, that's, that's good advice. Anything else? He says, yes. He says, you, you, you're going to be sleeping on this. You're going to be sleeping on what is essentially a four-by-eight sheet of half-inch plywood that's lifted about, about 18 inches off of the ground. And, and use as many blankets as possible to cushion yourself on that plywood. It'll help you, help you rest better. I'm like, duly noted. Got it. Anything else? He says, yes, lastly, sometimes bats can get in, flying bats. They can get in through your ceiling tiles. And so don't have the fan running at night because it's a metal fan. And if you sleep with your mouth open, which I do, you might be eating some bat guts. That last one is the one that really caught my attention. Okay, you got it. Now, I'm exhausted. I'm a side sleeper. And so I fall asleep on, the, on my side like this. And, and I fell asleep quickly, but I woke up in the middle of the night. I have no idea what time it was, but I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt something on my stomach. It's a true story. I felt something under my sheets. And so I was kind of like half awake, you know the feeling? Half awake, and I kind of hit it off. A couple minutes later, I feel this thing flapping around on my belly again. True story. Can't make this stuff up, people. I, I hit it off again. Third time it happens, this time 
kind of like in my dream, I realize what's happening. I'm like, I'm like, oh, and I jump out of bed and I hit this thing as hard as I could. I felt, I felt my left hand make contact and I, I hit it really hard. And I thought I, I must have smacked that thing onto the concrete floor, into a wall somewhere. I had to have killed that, 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 that sucker. And I, I go over to the light switch, I turn it on. I'm looking, I'm looking under the bed, under my sheets. I'm looking high, I'm looking low. It's kind of a small little room. I can't find that bat anywhere. At this point, I'm looking up into the ceiling tiles to see if like maybe there's a hole and I can kind of see where the bat was coming in and maybe where he's now going out. And once again, I feel this thing flapping on my belly. Like, whoa! Pound that thing off. That time I made solid contact with that sucker. I look down. I still don't see that bat. At which point it dawns on me. I can barely feel my arm. I can't feel my arm. I was sleeping on my arm. and I, My arm was numb. Was, I mean, completely. You ever, you ever have like a limb, an entire limb fall asleep before? The whole thing fell asleep. I mean, the whole thing was numb. I was like, man, I got no control over my arm. Freaking out in some random country I've never been to with people I don't know. There's bats in my room. I'm like, oh my God, my arm, it's dead. It's literally dead. I don't have time to rip my arm. This vampire is trying to get me right now. And I'm looking for my, my bat friend again. And just at that moment, I felt my arm, my dead arm go, ugh, start flapping around my belly. And it dawns on me, I'm like, it wasn't a bat. The whole time it was my arm. I started laughing hysterically at what probably was 3 a.m. I journaled it in my notebook and I, and I looked at my hand and it was all bruised. No lie, like for like the next week I was like, oh man, my arm. People were like, are you okay? I'm like, I really don't know. But I have no insurance over here, so I'm fine, you know. Have you ever, you ever been there before where you are so convinced that something is real? that it leads you to do something that seems kind of foolish? You ever, you ever been there before? You know what that's called? That's called faith. Think about it for just a moment. You are so convinced that something is real and it leads you to some corresponding action. That's, that's called faith. Faith, in regards to our Christian faith in regards to following Jesus is unbelievably important, to which we would all probably unanimously agree and say, yeah, yeah, I get it. But, but listen what the author of Hebrews says in, in, in Hebrews 11, verse 6. He says, it's impossible, it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus in here this morning, you can kind of disregard this, this next part of what we're about to say. But if, if, if you say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, I, I I believe and I've placed my faith in him. That verse right there deserves some, some serious attention. You're telling me we can't please God unless we have faith? This is the God who, who loves us, who gives us rest and peace and joy and hope, who has forgiven us of all of our air, shame, and sin, who has given us the opportunity to stand in right standing with God Almighty. Yeah, yeah. I want to please him because the more you understand what God has done for you through the person of Jesus Christ, the more that you can't help but want to respond and say, yeah, yeah, I want, I want to please him. Which then kind of begs the question a little bit, a little bit more than, well, what really is this, what really is this, this faith thing? Now, now for me, when, when I'm learning something, sometimes the best way to know what something is, is to, to first kind of identify what it is not. Faith is not, this is, this is a big deal. 
It's not the absence of doubt, nor is it the removal of fear. And we assume sometimes that, that if somebody is in faith or if I'm in faith, I never question anything. I never have some doubt. I never have some fear. I, ne- I, never, I never think to myself like, maybe this isn't going to work out. Maybe this isn't, isn't going to go the way that I want it to go. You know, faith, I, I fully believe that you can be full of doubt and still walk in faith. Let me say that again. You can be full of doubt, but still, you can still walk in faith. In fact, we talked about this last week, but in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus is kind of concluding this famous Sermon on the Mount, and he, he concludes in verse 24 by saying, everyone who hears these words or these teachings of mine and puts them into practice, puts them into practice. Remember that last week, puts them into puts them into practice, is like a wise man who builds his house on rock as opposed to building it on sand. Jesus is giving us some some context here for what faith really looks like as well. It's not just hearing the word. It's hearing the word and then putting it into practice. It's hearing the word and still having some doubts, still having some questions, still having some concerns, still wondering, like, what's this really all mean, but still putting it into practice. Even more point blank, the author of Hebrews says this in, in the 11th chapter, verse 1, just a few verses up from where we read a moment ago. He says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for, and it's the evidence of things that we can't see. So in other words, you can see the evidence of faith. You can't necessarily see faith, but you can see the evidence of faith. You can't see the oxygen that you're breathing right now, but you can see the evidence of the oxygen that you're breathing right now. You are taking a breath. That's evidence of your faith that there's oxygen in the air. If you thought there was gases in the air, what would you do? You would hold your breath, and therefore that would be evidence of what you believe about what's in the, what's in the air. So faith is, is tangible because there's There's evidence to somebody who is in faith. Let me explain it like this. Have you ever seen or heard somebody before and they've said, oh yeah, I I believe. And then you see the actions of somebody entirely different and you're like, oh, but you really believe. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, no, look, I I believe. But like, you're doing it. Like you, like you must really believe. I want to give us kind of just three working definitions for faith, and there's so many more beyond this, but these are the three that I want us to lean into here for just a moment, because everything great that has ever been done, both in modern history and in biblical history, always happened through men and women who lived by faith. They didn't just stand in faith, they lived, they walked, they breathed. They moved and they applied the scriptures of God's truth in their lives and they walked by faith. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 that we were reading just a moment ago, it's oftentimes referred to as the, the hall of faith. Kind of a corny like Christian thing there that we do, but, but it works because as you read through Hebrews 11, you see all of these individuals, men and women, who the scriptures say, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Noah, by faith, Samuel, by faith, David, by faith, Rahab, and continuing over and over again, it shows some sort of an exercise or some sort of a practice that these men and women did that revealed the evidence of their faith. 
And so, so number one, if you're taking notes, number one, faith is, faith is seeing the invisible, it's hearing the inaudible, it's believing the impossible, and it's walking when it's improbable. Faith is seeing the invisible, it's hearing the inaudible, it's believing the impossible, and it's walking when it seems improbable. You know, the bravest, most audacious prayer that you could ever pray is the prayer that you've prayed a hundred times before and it's gone unanswered and you choose to pray it again. Because faith is believing the invisible, it's hearing the inaudible, it's walking, or rather, I said that wrong, but you know what I mean. And it's walking when it's improbable. See, see, faith carries with it the conviction that God can, even if he hasn't yet. And I think so often, because he hasn't yet, we change our doctrine about God because of what we see when the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, what we see, feel, hear, those things are important, and faith does not deny the reality of what we experience. That's That's weird. When, when, when Christians do that kind of thing, when people say, like, like how you feel? Oh, I'm sick. Oh, don't say that. You're like, why? I'm sick. Like, oh, don't say it. You're like, but I'm sick. No, no, it's a sin. You're like, what are you talking about? Faith doesn't deny it. Faith recognizes what's real, but understands that what's true trumps what's real. Reality is one thing. Truth is another thing. Faith says, I... I, I see what's in God's word and I understand God's character based on this, not based on, not based on this, not based on this, not based on this. Faith says, faith says, I get it. I know what's going on and I need to, I need to exercise practical wisdom in a lot of circumstances, but, but I need to walk some things out though that might not always make sense because faith is seeing that which sometimes can't be seen. And it's hearing that which oftentimes can't be heard. And it's believing for those things that seem impossible to you and to me. And it's walking when it feels unbelievably improbable that this will ever come to pass. And the second thing is that faith is the willingness to look foolish. Faith is the willingness to look foolish. There was a, there's a man by the name of Gordon McKenzie. He, he was the... He was the creative director for, for Hallmark's greeting card division. And, and Gordon McKenzie did a, did a study on creativity uh, within the public school systems. In fact, Gordon McKenzie went around to hundreds of public schools all across America. They were doing this research project at Hallmark, and he asked every grade the same question but asked them at, to, to, to different grade levels. So he'd go into the first grade classroom, and, and he would ask how many artists are in the room? And in first grade, every kid's hand went up in the air. He'd then move on to second grade. And he'd say, how many artists are in the room? And about half of the hands would go up. He'd move on to third grade. He'd say, how many artists are in the room? And he said about 10 out of 30 or one third of the kid's hands would, would go in the air. By the time he got to sixth grade, Gordon McKenzie said that only one or two students, generally speaking, would kind of tentatively raise their, lift up their hands. And Gordon observed that all the schools seemed to be involved in what he called 
This is, this is his words. The suppression of creative genius. He said that society's goal seems to be to make us less foolish. That from cradle to the grave, the pressure is on. Be normal. And he was quoted as saying this. We'll throw this on the screen. He said, my guess is that there was a time, perhaps when you were very young, when you had at least a fleeting notion of your own genius. You're just waiting for some authority figure to come along and validate it for you. But no one ever came. And here's where I would say, enter Jesus. Think about this for just a moment. In the words of Gordon McKenzie, or maybe we can kind of add my words with his words, our, our inner fool may be caged by a world made to suppress it, but, but let me say it like this. hope this doesn't offend you. But Jesus came to free the fool within us. Following Jesus, saying yes to him, was never meant to be normal. It was meant to be an adventure of sorts. It was meant to be an adventure of establishing God's kingdom here on the earth on behalf of God. It was meant to be lived by faith, not just simply by head knowledge. Following Jesus was intended to be anything but normal. In fact, as we read some of the men and women of faith that we would consider to be heroes of our faith, notice some of the things that they did seem to be so radical in one sense that we look at even today and we're like, that's weird. And yet, we're like, but kind of exciting at the same time. Because faith requires us in one sense to kind of look maybe a little, again, I hope this doesn't offend you, but maybe a little foolish at times. Because faith is taking the first step before God ever reveals the next step. And that's how God works. You know this, right? God works in steps. So we want the end. And God's like, oh, I'm just giving you a step. If I showed you the end, that wouldn't be faith. I, I just, I'm going to show you the next step. I want you to take it. And God's like, and after you take that step, I'll reveal the, I'll reveal the next step. Because faith very, very rarely, yeah, faith... Man, I hope we get this. Faith very rarely makes sense to the human mind. The wisdom of God rarely makes sense to the wisdom of man. In fact, it kind of leads us to the third, to the third thought, third thing about faith, that, that doubt is putting your circumstances between you and God, but faith is putting God between you and your circumstances. Let me say that again. Doubt is being so aware of your circumstances, as we should be. Faith, again, faith doesn't deny the reality of what's going on. And faith doesn't act weird and pretend like it's not happening. Faith is aware of the circumstances, but faith says, I'm going to put God in between me and my circumstances rather than my circumstances in between me and my God. A.W. Tozer said this, that the most important thing about you is what, is what comes to mind when you think about God. I think that, that that truth that A.W. Tozer revealed really comes from Matthew chapter 6. It's a truth that Jesus himself revealed where, where, where he is beginning to teach some people how they ought to pray. In fact, he makes it so obvious. He says, hey, fellas, hey, hey guys, hey, pray like this. Don't pray like that. Pray like, pray like this. In the very first line of what's referred to as the Lord's Prayer, Jesus reveals some things to you and to me that was revolutionary for that time and age in that day. And he says, pray like this. Pray, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. 
He goes on and kind of gives some further illustration, but that very first line, my Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Up until this point, people who were listening to Jesus, they would have never imagined that they themselves could pray to God. It was reserved for the prophet, the priest, and the king. Oh, those guys, kind of the elect, they can talk to God, but me, I'm just, just an ordinary guy. I'm just, just normal. I can't pray to God. Not to mention that I would pray to God and refer to him as father. That's even more so like crazy, foolish, radical. What are you talking about here, Jesus? Then Jesus takes a step further and he says, okay, listen, listen. Pray to God like he's your father, like he's your dad. There's a relationship there that he wants to have with you. But then also keep in mind that his name is meant to be kept holy. One scholar says it like this, that to regard him as father is to recognize him as caringly intimate. But to regard him as holy is to recognize him as, as God. So in other words, you are praying to the one who combines supernatural authority with deep care for humanity. So when you pray, you don't just pray as though you're writing a letter to the President of the United States hoping to get some response in return. You don't just pray as though you are petitioning for some change to happen within our local government in hopes that maybe your work and all of your striving and all of your doing will really make a difference. He says, when you pray, understand that you are praying to the one who combines supernatural authority and, oh, by the way, he cares for you in the most intimate, practical, and caringly, lovingly type of, type of a way. So when you go to God in prayer and you begin to talk to him and you begin to have conversation with him and you begin to make some requests unto him that are in accordance with what you believe to be his will, you need to go off of the foundation that you are praying to one who has the authority to do it and has the love for you to do it as well. I think that sometimes we need to kind of refocus the way we think about God. I think that sometimes we need to stop creating God in our own image and allow God in our times of prayer to create us in his image. We're, we're, we're in this 21 days of, of prayer and fasting. We're about to close out here. If the band wants to come up here in just a moment, we're going to go back into a song in a, in a minute. But, well, that was aggressive, Colton. <laughs> Did you, like, jump up there? I, I, all I heard was, like, <laughs> I was like, wow. Your sweatshirt looks cool, by the way. Wearing the same one. So. It was kind of like a way to compliment myself, too. <laughs> You're cool, by the way. They are pretty comfy. But um, where were we? I'm just kidding. I knew where we were. Isn't that awkward, though? You're like, I brought a friend, Jordan. Don't be weird. Okay. During these 21 days of prayer and fasting, in the, in the, the very beginning, if I'm going to be, the very first day, I was just praying like normal prayers. Like I was going through our, 21, our, our list of things that we're praying for. And if, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, so you want to pick up with us and join us in our 21 days, we still got a week left. We would encourage you just to jump in right where we're at. And we've got the resources at the In This Together table in the foyer. And you can, you can grab a prayer card and a devotional that we're going through together. But, but I, I, was, I was praying for just kind of just like normal stuff. Like, okay, God, like bless our church, you know, bless, the, bless our kids keep them safe and, and 
that first day, I, I, I remember it, I, it was only two weeks ago, but like, I don't think I'll ever forget it. I just felt like God said, Jordan, stop. And I just felt like I got this image, like, like God was kind of speaking to me. I didn't hear him. I just felt like he was speaking to me like, Jordan, your bold prayers honor me. And I will honor your bold prayers. In that moment, I thought, you know what? I made a list of six things. I wrote down right there, and I just wrote down six things. I'm going to start praying for these six things. Some of them were just, I was praying just for miracles. Some people who are going through some health stuff. They were believing for a miracle. We will refuse to stop believing. I was praying for, praying for the lost. I was like, God, I, I, I pray right now, God. I don't, I don't just pray that like some people would come to know you. I said, God, I, I pray that every single person in all of central Ohio would know you, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. God, I, 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 just expand our capacity to see and know you. I mean, I, I just, there was a couple things on the list that were kind of private. I was like, God, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pray boldly. I was, there's marriage, I was praying for marriages to be restored that have just been on the rocks for years and years and years. Just, no, God, that is gonna be a testimony to your glory, to your faithfulness. We're gonna pray and believe for great things. I started praying for, be honest with you, I started praying for buildings. You know, as a church, our, our desire is to, is to one day kind of, kind of, be a small church, but in, in many locations, kind of have autonomy. We want to plant churches all over the place. I'm just praying, God, right now, I just pray in advance that your will would be done, that your kingdom will be established on this earth. I just started envisioning, using my imagination. I thought, I'm, I just, I'm going to refuse to pray small prayers. I'm just going to pray big things. What if they don't come to pass? What if they do? And I had this thought, what if at the end of my life, I live in regret not because of the prayers that I prayed, but because of the prayers I didn't pray and therefore never had the opportunity to go answered. Because I kind of lived in fear of what if? What if it doesn't happen? What if I step out and it kind of looks weird? What if, we, what if we tell our church to believe for something and it doesn't happen? Are people gonna, are they gonna lose faith then? What if it does? What if our God is so big? What if our God is so good? that he's just waiting for a man or a woman to, by faith, step into some of the things that he has called us to really experience as we establish his kingdom here in the earth. I started thinking about Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. A couple months ago, I was reading through the scriptures, and, and, I, and, I, and it just kind of dawned on me once again in Ephesians 3, 20, where, where Paul is writing, he says, Now to him, meaning God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. And this thought just kind of came to, my, came to my mind that maybe the reason why we haven't seen God do the impossible or perform the miracle or pull off the improbable is because we stopped asking, because we stopped imagining. The, the scripture, Paul says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. I was like, God, I, I remember when I first put my faith and my trust in Jesus, and I was like, I was going all out. I was praying things and saying things and doing things, just kind of in faith. And at a certain point in time, though, people were like, Jordan, calm down. Be normal. But I don't know if normal is ever what God called us to be. I'm not saying we're weird. Like, now don't show up at work tomorrow on your campus and you're just going through with your backpack. You're like, God, save him, her, her, him, them. 
No, like that's weird. Okay, I'm talking like in your private time with your friends on Saturday morning prayer, like that you're like, hey guys, let's, let's pray for something like really bold right now. I just feel like I, something I've been thinking about. Somebody's been going through some stuff. Let's just, let's really dive all the way in. Let's begin to ask. Let's begin to imagine. And let's allow God to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, dare, think, or, or imagine. And I want us as a church to lean into that. That 2020, that we would kind of receive permission in one sense from the Holy Spirit to begin to ask for some big things again. That we'd kind of pick up that prayer that we laid down at one time or another. We pick up that faith that we kind of set to the side at one time or another. That we, that we kind of begin to embrace the foolishness within us once again. And we say, God, I'm going to ask you for some big things this year. I'm going to close right here. Bring it back to Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, we see Abraham who is basically at the end of his faith. He's beginning to question whether or not God is ever going to give him a son whether there will ever truly be descendants that will outnumber the stars of the sky. He's beginning to wonder after 25 years, is Sarah, my wife, ever going to experience the joy of motherhood? Is this ever going to, is this ever going to come to pass? And God shows up and he has this conversation with him. And he says to him once again that he took him outside. God took Abraham outside. And he said, Abe, look to the heavens. See if you can count the stars. That's how many descendants you're going to have. You know, I was doing some research this week, and I went to the source of all knowledge, google.com, and, and I found out that there are 9,096 stars that are visible to the, to the human eye. But in addition to those 9,096, there are, there are what is estimated to be between 100 billion and 400 billion additional stars in just the Milky Way galaxy alone. Most most astrophysicists believe that there's somewhere around 300 billion. I did some math and I discovered that there's 31,536,000 seconds in a year. So if Abraham tried to count every single star just in our Milky Way galaxy alone, it would then take him 10,000 years to do that. That's 100, 100 year lifetimes. And, and, and most astrophysicists say that there's at least 2 trillion additional galaxies out there which kind of blows our mind, which I think was the intention of God to begin with, by the way. And so, so if we take this command by God to Abraham, literally, this is the single hardest command in the entire, in the entire Bible. Hey, Abe, count the stars. <laughs> just, just kidding, Abe. Good luck with that. I think, that's what God was, I think that's what God was trying to say. But the question then is, why did God take him outside? Why couldn't God just tell him that inside his tent? My, my theory is that God, that Abraham, rather, as long as he was inside the tent, always had an eight-foot ceiling above him. Come on outside, Abe, where there is no ceiling. Count the stars if you're even able to. And what I've been praying this week is that God would remove the ceiling from our eyes that we would see him in a way that maybe we've never seen him before. So that we begin to ask of him some things that are in accordance to his will. I'm not saying you go home and start asking God for a Ferrari, okay? Because some of you right now are thinking like, Jordan, this could get really weird. But I, I, I'd just rather ask God for all sorts of crazy things than ask him for nothing. 
I'd rather step out and believe God for something than never step out and believe him for nothing in fear of looking weird. So we're gonna believe God for some things as a church. And I wanna encourage you to believe God for some things in your family, with your kids, with your spouse, for your campus, for your school, for your friends, for your job. And I believe that we're gonna see God do something mighty on our behalf for his glory.